And one thing you should never do, and that is say, I'll pray for you, and never do it. That's a danger, as the Lord knows. To, to say you pray for someone and not do it. The other side of that coin is that when you are in need, bring your need to your brethren. Don't walk a lonely road all by yourself, thinking that you're some kind of hero and martyr by not sharing the burden of your heart. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. We do appreciate you joining with us again here in the program. We continue with our studies on 1 Peter, and today we'll be looking at the very fact that we are called to love the brethren. And by this shall all men know that we are the Lord's disciples. We have Al Smith to sing for us today, This Love is Mine, and our reason to be a Christian, because Jesus is alive. Hear this. In this series, Why Become a Christian, I seek to set out plain reasons for you to take the gospel seriously. For some reason, men dismiss the Christian gospel as only for those who are born into it, or are born with some religious gene who have a natural bent for Bible religion. Know the good news that Jesus came into the world, died on the cross, and rose again from the dead is for all men. Christianity is an international religion. It knows no borders and no special categories of men on earth. We are all of the same blood, the same ancestry, and in need of the same Savior. You need to become a Christian because the Lord Jesus is alive. A dead Savior in a tomb would be a message of death, but a living Savior out from his empty tomb is the message of life. The fact that Jesus is alive gives guarantees to all that he preached, lived for, and died for. He promised that after three days he would rise again. He defeated death on the cross. He removed the sting of death and conquered the grave for us. One day these bodies of ours shall be led in the grave. The cold earth shall receive our corpse, and we will be left until the resurrection day. It is because Jesus is alive that there will be a glorious resurrection unto life for Christians who have personally put their faith in the Lord as their Savior, whereas it will be a resurrection to condemnation for those who have rejected Christ. Because Jesus is alive and is the Lord of life and all of the universe, he will gather his people together in the air. This is the rapture of the saints, but there will be no unbelievers in that rapturous event. It will be for all who have trusted in Christ as their Savior. The fact that he is alive, he will be witness for his own people, but also a judge against the ungodly. He will be their judge to convince men of their perdition. The most fearful sight on that eternal day will be the sight of the Son of God. The wicked will call on God to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. They will call on the very mountains to hide them from the face of the living Christ. Hear these words from Revelation chapter 6. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens, 
and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? This, the fact that Jesus is alive, is a strong reason to become a Christian. He is alive forevermore to save the seeking soul, but also he is alive to judge the wicked and pronounce their final doom. He is alive. Up from the grave he arose, with a mighty victory o'er his foes. He's alive. He is alive forevermore. May you come to him. Believe. Trust him as your Savior to become a Christian today. We may sound the depths of all the mighty oceans. We may tell the distance to the farthest star. But the mighty love of God cannot be measured. Its dimensions are so high, so deep, so far. This love is mine, I cannot comprehend it. This love revealed in Christ my Lord divine. When on the tree, for me, God's wondrous, glorious, mighty love, this love is mine. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Our Bible message today is on 1 Peter 1, verse 22. Loving the brethren. Let me read the text. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Stay tuned as we let the Bible speak from the pulpit of our Free Presbyterian Church. You will see here that Peter makes this an appeal to the mind. You believe the cross as I do. You believe in redemption as I do. You believe in the one way to heaven as I do. You believe in the same Savior. You're washed in the same blood. You're indwelt by the same Holy Spirit. And our brethren are brought together in this fervent, spirit of unity. And so it becomes my privilege as a Christian to love my brethren, but Peter also makes it my duty. It's my privilege, and I don't know what your experience was, but when I was born again, as soon as I got saved, I wanted to be amongst Christians. And the more that I grew in the knowledge of the Lord, the less I wanted to be in the midst of the world. That's how it happened. But that was my privilege to know Christians, but it has also become my duty to come alongside, take my stand, be named as a Christian, 
and pay the price. The Lord Jesus said, take up the cross and follow me. And if we are ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of us and before our Father. Now, I'm to be thinking then about who is my neighbor, especially in Christian terms. Paul said in Galatians 6.10, especially them unto them who are of the household of faith, especially. Romans 12.10, be kindly affection one to the other with brotherly love. Hebrews 13, let brotherly love continue. And then I'd like you to turn to 1 John 3, verse 11. Uh, this is really strong language that John uses here. 1 John 3 and verse 11. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath life, eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Let me tell you, that's commitment. That's love. That is the real thing. And again, we're not left without help to do this because it will be the work of the Spirit of God, being born again, seeing ye have purified your hearts through your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit. How can I love you? And how can you love me? We're sinners. We feel. We disappoint one another. The more that we spend time together, the more the warts and, and, the, and the very excesses of life that we don't like. It's like taking the magnifying glass to your face. You'll see things you don't want to see. And the closer we fellowship together, the more we spend time together, the more things we find that we don't like. So how can we love one another with this pure, fervent love through the Spirit? If I'm walking in the flesh, I'll find something wrong with my brother. If I'm walking in a carnal cold, ungodly state of mind, I'll become critical. I'll lose sight of the preciousness of a Christian in the eyes of the Lord. The fact that you're redeemed, as we learned in this passage, redeemed by the blood of Jesus that is more precious than silver or gold. You see, you and I are the richest people in the world. We're bought by the blood of the Lamb. And we've got to see one another as the Lord sees us with the blood upon us and the righteousness of Christ. And yes, we're imperfect. And yes, you will find faults and flaws. And you will have your little list and say, I wish that person could change these various things. But we're all a work in progress. We're all to be conformed more and more into the image of God's Son. And we are to be the instrument of God to work that by encouraging, loving, helping, and encouraging. Now I come now to the third H. We've had the hindrances to brotherly love. We've had the helps and hopes. Now we come to the third H, and that is the honor of this brotherly love. 
I want you to notice again what Peter says here in verse 22. See that. If you can understand the logic of verse 22, you will see that the, the first half of the verse, right down to the word brethren, is if you're not a Christian, if you have the Holy Spirit in your life, if you're walking in the truth, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Now, let me into, let you into a little bit of grammar here. The first word love is Philadelphia. That is the love of the brethren. You know the church of Philadelphia? That's the church of the, the love of the brethren. The second word love, which is an imperative, see that ye love. It's a command. It's not Philadelphia. It is agape. It is the self-sacrificing love. That's the love that you and I are commanded to expend upon one another. I read of a contractor who was working on a high building, fell from the top uh, right down on hard concrete, and while he was in the midst of his fall, one of his workmen stepped right in the line of the fall, and the boss fell right on top of the workman, crushing him into the concrete. Saved his life. And the worker spent the last of his days with broken bones, arthritis, all kinds of pain. What did his boss do for him? He gave him half of everything he had, and every day he let him know that he appreciated what he did for him. When our Lord Jesus was on the cross, the wrath of God crushed him for us. And we are to love our brethren as Christ loved us. He took the wrath of God in our place. That was agape love. You and I are to love our brothers and sisters with this self-sacrificing love. It's a genuine love. It says unfeigned love. This makes it honorable. Where you see that plastic kind of love, there's no honor to that. It's just the mimic. It's just the hypocrite at work. It is, uh, it, it, is, it is not genuine. And sometimes our mere good manners passes for Christian love. You know, we don't want people talking about it, so we learn how to pass ourselves. We learn how to get through a situation uh, that we don't seem to be rude or crude. Sometimes we play act. That's what a hypocrite is. We want to see, be seen to be kind and gentle and thoughtful, but there's no depth to that love. There's no sacrifice to it. It is just passing. It's not like the good Samaritan who returned and sacrificed over and over and over. So you might ask the question tonight, how do you show genuine love, this unfeigned love of the brethren. Let me give you some practical hints. First of all, let me recommend a firm handshake. A firm handshake. A genuine handshake. This probably is becoming passe in society, you know, a handshake. But in Christian circles, that is the way to convey your genuine fellowship shouldn't just be a tradition. 
It should be a way of you stepping forward, going out of your way, and making that connection, that handshake. One-to-one. It's not group therapy. It's one-to-one. That's Christian. That's godly. That's true love. Also, a readiness to give of your time. Doesn't mean you have to give your whole life, but five minutes maybe. Five minutes. I think that we're all feeling, if we come amongst God's people, and we're not willing to give five minutes to show Christian fellowship, genuine interest, by simply asking, how's your week? Or maybe to someone that you know is going through a difficulty, saying to them, how can I pray for you? Doesn't mean you're nosy. Doesn't mean you're pressing into their personal business. You can say, look, I don't need to know the details. I just want you to, I want you to know, can I, is, there a, is there something I can pray for you? A true delight in a person's company. Pray together. There's probably people in this meeting tonight, small number as we have, who've never prayed together. That's hardly unfeigned, fervent love. And one thing you should never do, and that is say, I'll pray for you, and never do it. That's a danger, as the Lord knows. To, to say you pray for someone and not do it. The other side of that coin is that when you are in need, bring your need to your brethren. Don't walk a lonely road all by yourself, thinking that you're some kind of hero and martyr by not sharing the burden of your heart. Now, if husband and wives have had a, a tiffle and, uh, you know, someone spoke at a turn and they got hurt, don't, don't come to the prayer meeting and say, look, my wife's not speaking to me today. We're not talking about that pre- personal information. We're talking about something that you genuinely can share with your brethren and sisters that's going to make a difference in your life. Don't be a closet Christian. Don't keep your brethren and sisters out of your Christian life. Now, that takes a bit of wisdom and balance. I understand that. And sometimes it might mean that you would say to the person leading the prayer meeting and say, look, do you think this would be a a wise prayer request? And you might get some guidance and say, well, uh, it's a little bit personal. It's a little bit iffy. You don't want to make the other person think that you're against them. So just say, Lord, uh, uh, help us and give wisdom. Just even to pray for wisdom. That is all involved in this brotherly love. So it's honorable. It's honorable. It also says here, a pure heart. A pure heart. That means you can pray, Lord, search my heart that I truly love this brother and love this sister and desire God's blessing for them. Search my heart about it. Pure love. You'll notice that it's unceasing love, and I take that from the word fervently, and I found this three times in the New Testament, right here in 1 Peter 1. It's also found in 1 Peter 4 and verse 8, and above all things have fervent charity. I found it a third time in Acts 12, where the Christians came together to pray for Peter, who was in prison, and it says they prayed without ceasing, which is translated fervent in these two other places. So this fervent means it's unceasing. They prayed and prayed, and they kept on praying. 
Now, when you love your brother or sister in Christ, do you love like that? Or is it just, well, I did love them. But it should be an ongoing, unceasing, fervent, and continual love of the brethren. That brings me full circle to the question, what is the single thing we can do to revolutionize the Lord's church? And how can this be done? Loving the brethren. It can change the joy and the blessing of Christian fellowship. Someone asked, what is the shortest road to London? The answer was given, good company. When you're traveling in good company, sweet company, harmonious company, the journey is short. It's the same in church life. When you come into the fellowship of brothers and sisters that genuinely love your soul, and you know it, how sweet, how blessed is the fellowship of God's people. That means we deal with all differences. The Lord Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, Therefore, if I bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, Leave there thy gift at the altar, and go thy way, and be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer the gift. You know, we shouldn't be coming in the church door, looking over our shoulder. Uh, I better be careful. I don't end up sitting beside so-and-so this time, because there's a, there's a problem between you. No, the Bible says, the Lord says, leave your gift at the altar, go to your brother, be reconciled, and then come back and offer your gift. All oh, the worship will be so much sweeter, so much more meaningful, and it'll honor the Lord. Also, how can this revolutionize the church? It can change the witness of the church before strangers, before the world. By this shall men know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one to another. And then men will come into the midst and say, this is real Christianity. I have witnessed amongst this congregation of God's people a love, a genuine, deep, fervent, ongoing love that demonstrates that they are born of God and have the Spirit of God in them. You know, cults and the contemporary church have learned through psychology how to put on a good front about this. And if you go along to a modern uh, mega church or you go along to a cultish type church, you'll find that they have learned this, this way of devising means of appearing to be a friendly people. They work hard at it. They work hard at it. Because they want that person coming through the door to experience that they are genuinely cared about. As they want them to get that feeling. I think we as fundamental, Reformed, Presbyterian, Protestants, Bible-preaching church people, we think, well, if, they, if they're really hungry for the Word, they won't care. If they're hungry for the knowledge of God, that's not the, 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 the thing that will keep them in the church. No, we need that genuine, honest, Christ-like, Christ-exalting spirit of unity. Now, I'll end with chapter 2, verse 3. It says, If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, you'll notice that verse 1 ends in a comma, 
Verse 2 ends in a comma. Verse 3 ends in a period. So verses 1 to 3 are running sentences. Peter is very fond of running sentences, by the way. This is one of his formats and his styles of writing. But what was in Peter's head in verse 1, laying aside all those things as newborn babes desiring the sincere milk of the word, if so be ye have tasted. Now, if you have tasted the love of God in your soul, if you have tasted the preciousness of the Lord Jesus in your heart, then you will genuinely, you will share your love, your joy, your satisfaction in Christ with the souls of others that come into the fellowship. Why would we do this? Well, we do it for the gospel's sake, to be useful witnesses for souls. We do it for the Savior's sake, because he endured so much for us. And you do it for your own namesake. This is for your good, your growth. One has said the only harm that bitterness does is to the container in which it is held. And the Christian that holds bitterness in his heart does most harm to himself. And Peter teaches us to love the brethren with a pure heart fervently. Because we are born again of that incorruptible word, it's for our good too. And the best thing you can do for your own soul is to pray that bitterness right out of your life and pray through the Spirit that you are made an encourager, a helper, a peacemaker, having the same love, one accord, one mind. That's what Paul put it. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. I, as your pastor tonight, take that text and I say, Fulfill ye my joy. For me to observe the genuine fellowship of God's people in this congregation, week by week, meeting by meeting, coming to prayer, praying for one another's burdens, just joining in, pitching in, taking the time, making the effort, being a practical Christian, fulfilling this great command that ye love one another fervently your heart. Fulfill ye my joy. Come to the prayer meetings. Enter into the spirit of prayer. Come early. Stay a little longer. Let this be your ministry, your testimony that the world will know that we're the children of God. Again, thank you for listening to our broadcast here today. If you'd like to hear this program again, or if you would like information about our programming schedules across Canada on various stations, and if you would like the information on how to donate and support this ministry, go to our website, ltbs.ca. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you as, again, we let the Bible this broadcast speak. comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 187 Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. On our website you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons, and our gospel booklet called A New Beginning. 
There you can find a link to our Sunday services that are broadcast online. For all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30am and 6pm to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of his precious word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer at 7.30pm every Wednesday evening. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day from September to June at 9.30am. You can contact us using our office number which is 604-576-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will lead you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. And this is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today and be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. on this station for our full or church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of his word.